All right. Um, well, why don't I go ahead and start? We'll give a couple announcements, and then we can get the call underway. Um, for those of you who are new to the call, welcome. Uh, my name is Jamie Kaplan, and I'm part of the SAR team, and we support the Hodges program. And uh, this is the uh, national topic-specific Hodges user group conference call, and we usually have topic speakers, so we have that today. Um, just so you know, we have another call today. It's the Higher Education Resources Consortium call, and the dial-in and PIN number are the same as the ones you just used to get on this call. And everybody is welcome to participate in that one as well. Um, these calls are monthly, and we post the dates of the um, calls up on the FEMA.gov website as well as on newshouses.com. A um, couple of and quick announcements. Northeastern Houses User Group is having a meeting on November 29th, and they're going to be talking about how NESEC, which is the Northeast States Emergency Consortium, used Houses during Hurricane Irene. So I encourage everyone, if you have a chance, that call will be um, 3 o'clock Eastern Time on uh, November 29th, and the dial-in and PIN number are the same as this call. And the presentation is already posted on the NEHUG um, website, so if you can take a look at that, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, we also have a hot zone posted. If you haven't seen it, the October 2011 Hazard Hot Zone is out. Uh, we are generating podcasts as often as possible, so I'm making an effort to tape this call, and we'll see how that goes. Um, you can find the podcast on the Use Hazus website as well as on um, iTunes by searching uh, Hazus. So if you miss a call, that's a good way to get caught up. And we did have a, an announcement about Hazus 2.1, which I know many people are waiting for the release of that. And we may, it may get released um, towards the middle of December and possibly orders will be able to be taken uh, late in the week on December 5th. So that is the earliest that 2.1 will be released. Um, there is some consideration on postponing that a little bit and uh, making a bug fix. Um, so the developers are working on that as we speak. Um, Margaret, are you on? Did I forget anything? No, but I think that's it. Okay. All right, then we're going to go ahead and get to um, the topic of our call. We've um, we've got uh, two folks from the USCS, Laura Dennis and Jeff Peters, on the phone with us today, and this is a presentation that they gave at the um, annual conference in Seattle in August. And uh, if you got onto the WebEx, that's great. If you need some help finding the link, uh, let me know. Is everybody able to find it? Terrific. All right. Um, Laura, why don't I turn it over to you, and you guys can introduce yourselves a little bit more about your experience, and then uh, go ahead and lead us through the call. All right. Um, so I'm going to talk today about some work that we've been doing for a while. My name is Laura Dennis. Um, I have a background in operations research and um, modeling, and I sort of um, got into the risk assessment, risk analysis business. But I, I, oh, 
And we're going to be U.S. Geological Survey. We're here in Menlo Park, California, in the um, Western Geographic Science Center. And I got into this when I started working for an economist who was very interested in how to connect USGS um, earth science information and hazards to um, economics and decision making. So, um, and I'll let Jeff introduce himself later. I'm going to talk about this model that we've been developing. It's called the Land Use Portfolio Model and how we're linking it with hazards to evaluate regional scale mitigation policies. And then Jeff will talk next about um, another decision support system that we developed that um, helps us link the hazards um, output data as input data to the land use portfolio model. Hold on one sec. I'm trying. There we go. Oh, I did? Oh, yeah, thanks. Okay. So um, here's an overview of what I'll talk about today. I'll talk about um, our risk analysis framework, um, a brief background of the LUPM, um, using LUPM with Hazus, the Hazus data extractor tools that Jeff will talk more in depth about, and um, an application of the LUPM with Hazus to analyze earthquake risk for mobile home parks in Southern California. So for the risk analysis framework, there are three components, risk assessment, risk management, and risk communication. Um, we're more focused on the first two. And um, the way we define these is that our is that risk assessment um, involves identifying risks, developing scenarios, and estimating damages and losses. And um, that's where really where we see the the strongest role for hazards in that risk assessment area. And then the risk management is about evaluating choices for mitigation strategies, measures, and costs. And the LUPM is um, we consider that more of a risk management tool to, um, to accomplish those things. So this picture down the bottom kind of shows the roles of hazards and LUPM, which whenever we present LUPM, we get questions, how is this different than hazards? So why did we develop the LUPM? Well, as this audience already knows, natural hazards are increasingly impacting society as we expand into hazardous areas resulting in increased costs, business disruption, structural damages, and lives lost. So the question we ask is how can we effectively invest resources, dollars, to reduce natural disaster losses? And um, if, we, if our resources are limited, which communities, which hazards, and which measures should we be investing in? Um, and also, um, we thought that this kind of work might be of interest for these pre-disaster hazard mitigation plans, especially the part on how to prioritize mitigation actions. So a real brief description of the LUPM, it's a geospatial interactive decision support system, and its purpose is to help communities make decisions about how to invest in a portfolio of locations and mitigation measures to reduce losses from natural hazards. And these figures show the, um, the, what the software looks like when you start it up, and also an example of if you select, um, wh where you can select features in your GIS um, for your analysis. 
<clears throat> so for our LUPM scenario input data, we use natural hazard, land use, and socioeconomic information that we bring all together. So they include hazard type, severity, and likelihood, the geographic extent and community assets at risk, the planning time horizon, dollar values and or vulnerability of assets, a conditional spatial likelihood of damage given that an event occurs, um, a mitigation strategy, which I'll define more, and then um, a cost and effectiveness of mitigation strategies. And so this slide shows how um, our model is using hazardous data and results. So um, from the building inventory, or the number of structures, we use that to calculate total asset values by census tract in combination with average house values from the um, census data. We use exposure value or replacement cost for some methods of estimating mitigation costs. And we use damage proportions and values to calculate the avoided losses for mitigation and rates of return from investing in mitigation. So using the hazardous results, um, the, the, well, the LUPM combines the hazardous damage probabilities and loss estimates with these following items. The hazard event probability, um, which is specified over a time period, the asset value, <clears throat> mitigation strategy, which is a portfolio of locations and or measures in which to invest, mitigation options and their costs, and estimates of mitigation effectiveness. <clears throat> um, and so the results that come out of this model are losses avoided and rates of return on mitigation investment and measures of uncertainty for different strategies. So these um, images show some sample output. On the left is um, sample output from one run, and on the right is a scenario comparison report. We can run several scenarios and then line up the data side by side. And then the whole point of doing this is we want to repeat this process a bunch of times for different scenarios so we can define, compare, and rate multiple policies according to a user's preference. So this is one example of, um, of a way to, um, to rate preferences for policies and compare them is a risk-return graph where on one axis you have the expected rate of return and on the other you have the um, uncertainty or standard deviation. And ideally, um, the user would be most interested in um, rates of return that are that have the um, highest expected rates of return and the lowest uncertainties around them. So um, I'm going to briefly mention this hazardous data extractor tool that we developed. It's a software application that extracts data, such as inventory, and model results from hazardous databases and ESRI geodatabases for a selected study region and hazard or a result set. And it can include examples such as general building stock inventory and so on. So the extracted information can be saved in a geodatabase as detailed data or aggregated data. And um, we developed this tool so, as I mentioned, we could extract data from many hazards runs and save it to a geodatabase so we could input it to the LUPM to do multiple runs there. 
And this tool, um, Jeff's going to talk about it more in detail when he talks. <coughs> so now I'm going to go into an application that we've been working on recently, which is for analyzing earthquake risk for mobile home parks in Southern California. And our motivation for doing this particular application is um, we had three main reasons. First, um, the USGS multi-hazard demonstration project um, did a the shakeout analysis, and the earthquake scenario results from that showed that mobile home parks were especially vulnerable. Um, also, um, USGS um, has is developing or has developed probabilistic seismic risk maps, which also show um, high risk for mobile homes in the region. And also, um, a recent um, Baja California, Mexico earthquake um, caused a lot of damage to mobile homes in uh, Southern California. So um, I'll talk a little bit more about those. And then I'm going to talk about the main steps of doing the analysis, which is selecting your study area and scenarios, estimating damages and losses, and evaluating mitigation options. And then I'll show some preliminary analysis results. Okay, so the shakeout results showed mobile homes with disproportionately high damages and losses compared to other types of residential structures. These figures come out of the, um, the shakeout um, report from their study. And you, if you look at the, on the left, the green dot, um, one dot represents 25 structures, and there are more green dots, and they represent more structures than either single-family or multi-family residential structures. Um, and on the right, you can see that um, in the cream color, the residential damages made up um, almost three-quarters of damages, total of all the damages, but almost one-quarter of that whole pie graph is just mobile homes. And secondly, the um, these pro the USGS um, has been doing some work developing these probabilistic seismic risk maps. And if we look uh, at and focus in on mobile home earthquake bricks, you can see starting from the, the whole country and going down to um, Southern California, you can see some of the cities that are in the higher risk areas for earthquakes for mobile homes. And so we use this graph to help us decide what cities we were going to analyze. So um, I'm going to go through the steps of the analysis now. First is to decide on the study area. And using that information, we decided we selected six cities that were at high risk, but also that had substantial mobile home populations. They included San Bernardino, Hemet, Palm Springs, Indio, Coachella, and El Centro. And they're down below. <laughs> Basic are some... Uh, some uh, mobile home park statistics. Um, you can see that Hemet, if you look at, uh, under the column for Hemet, um, they have over 11,000 mobile homes in 58 parks, so they have a huge mobile home population there. And uh, San Bernardino is the next biggest in terms of that. A lot of people could potentially be impacted. So um, we did some data prep for our study area. We digitized mobile home parks manually using Google Earth and Esri satellite imagery. 
Um, and we had to make some decisions about dealing with mobile homes versus RVs. And um, we settled on the mobile home park scale because um, it was just too detailed to go in and too too intensive to go by mobile home, individual mobile homes. But this graph kind of interesting because the green, the mobile home park outlined in green is quite close to the San, Southern San Andreas Fault line, which is in red. So the next step is to select our hazard scenarios. So we chose seven from the USGS shake map. Um, they were based on having a magnitude larger than 5.0 and also close to our selected cities. So this is a list of our um, scenario earthquakes that we chose. Actually, some of them are scenarios and some of them are actually historical earthquakes. So these two figures down here show examples for um, the Baja California earthquake on the left and the Imperial Valley earthquake on the right. Those were actual historical earthquakes. So then our next step was to do a level two hazardous analysis, earthquake analysis to estimate our damages and losses. So we imported our user supply data, which was our mobile home park data set and our shake map earthquake scenarios. And then we did our, we estimated our losses. Um, and this information here shows um, three scenarios by city. And we looked at um, both pre-code and moderate code seismic design levels. So um, let me see real quick here. Oh yeah. So these maps actually show those losses um, for the shakeout or 7.8 earthquake scenario in, um, in the map. So you can see the pre-code um, design levels on the left, the moderate code is on the right. You can see the peak ground accelerations and also the expected building losses by track. And then here are some more examples for the San Jacinto fault, uh, I mean 6.7 scenario earthquake and the North Palm Springs 5.7 historical earthquake. Again, pre-code on the left and moderate code on the right. Okay, so those are our, our estimated losses from HAZUS. And then what do we do with this LUPM tool that we developed? Well, now we're ready to evaluate mitigation strategies and options. So in doing the LUPM analysis, the first part is to select a portfolio of locations and mitigation measures in which to invest the budget. Um, so this is an example, again, of where we selected all of the census tracts within our study area. And that's one of our mitigation strategies that we use. Here are a whole list of different strategies that we analyze. So they include uh, mitigate no tracks, mitigate all tracks, um, mitigate tracks with estimated losses over a million dollars, mitigate those with more than 500 mobile home units. And then we have some different demographic um, information. And then um, at the end, let's see, um, number eight, um, tracks within 500 feet of a fault. And then we did, we also ran strategies where we just selected all the tracks for within each city. So we picked a whole bunch of mitigation strategy, strategies. Um, a user can define mitigation strategies any way they want. If they're 
targeting um, different populations or um, attributes, that that's one of the great things that, that um, people can use to define these. And you can use the GIS tools to do it by attribute or by location. And then um, this is this can be kind of a difficult step is to find or estimate hazard event probabilities. Fortunately, for earthquakes in California, um, we have this working group on California earthquake probabilities that have been studying this for many years, and um, they've developed this, this. The newest version is called the USERF2 report, and we talked to one of those authors and uh, or a couple of those authors, and they helped us. Um, use their model to determine estimates for 30-year probabilities for these different earthquake scenarios that we were working with. So that's what's shown here. And then we came up with market value estimates. We used um, average price per square foot for mobile homes by city based on areas of the homes sampled from the imagery and the median values of structures from the U.S. Census. <clears throat> and then um, as far as our expected loss estimates, well, that tends to be, in general, a function of the probability of events, the probability of damage occurring given the event, and the values at risk. And so we're, what we found is that um, it was a great tool for us to be able to use the damage probabilities from the hazards results tables and also the hazards loss estimates by census tract. And um, again, we use this tool to um, to help us bring those loss estimates into LUPM. And then um, we needed to come up with mitigation options for mobile homes. It turns out for earthquake mitigation for mobile homes, there's really one main mitigation option. Um, that's called an earthquake-resistant braking system. And we made the assumption that installing one of these systems raised the building code and hazards from pre-code to moderate code. Um, it's interesting to note that hazards, the way it's set up, treats all building code levels above um, pre-code that's same for mobile homes. And um, based on phone calls to um, companies that install these, we came up with a mitigation cost assumption of about $2,500 per mobile home. So these are some preliminary LUPM analysis results. It shows um, rate to return for all the different um, LUPM scenarios and the mitigation strategies, number one through 13. And um, we highlighted in red some of the highest ones. You can see for the Coachella, Earthquake scenario, we got the highest rates of return. Um, the lowest rates of return were from Palm Springs, and we have some some reasons for that. The Coachella scenario results were the highest because um, they had the highest probability of the earthquake scenario occurring by an order of magnitude. Most of the shaking was very close to the city of Coachella, and also mitigating the highest expected losses often has higher rates of return than other strategies. That was for strategy number three, which was, let me just go back here real quick. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, that was a case of um, mitigating trash that had a, um, estimated value of over, or estimated um, losses of over a million dollars. Um, the tracks closest to the earthquake were selected and they get lots of shaking. And also, um, mitigating all colored shallow tracks was very similar in this case to mitigating the tracks close to the earthquake fault. And so um, that's why number three and number 13 were both pretty high. In this case, those um, mitigation strategies selected similar sets of tracks. On the other hand, the Palm Springs scenario results were pretty low because the event probability was quite low, and so the peak ground accelerations were low, and there was also a fairly small extent of shaking. So that just shows some examples of running the LUPM for different strategies. And then here we've plotted the risk return graph for, um, for this example. So we can compare, you can see, we can compare the different um, results. You can see that Coachella are the red boxes and they are the highest and most um, to the left. So they have the highest um, rates of return and the lowest standard deviation. And then the chart on the right is just um, zooming in on the origin of the original chart on the left. So that's it for me. There, here are some um, Jeff, well, let's see, my, my contact information and Jeff, and then Peter Ng is a computer scientist who's developed, really, he's developed the tools for us. And then um, the bottom three bullets are some websites where we have some general information about the LUPM and um, the place where you can download the software and see, get more information about the some documentation on the software. So um, I'm hoping we, at USGS we have to put all of our documents through review before we can um, post them or put them out there. So I'm almost done with the review of this presentation, and then this will get posted on the HAZUS conference site. And if you guys have any questions, you're welcome to ask. Um, we're very interested in partnering with organizations, so if anyone's interested in this work, we'd love to hear about it. And I think that's it for my talk. That is, yep. So I don't know if you want to take questions now or if we should just let Jeff go ahead and talk about his poster. Whatever makes the most comfortable. Why don't we just have Jeff go ahead because um, we set up this WebEx to, just to go till noon and I don't want anyone to get cut off. We, okay, great. Okay, right. Sorry, one o'clock, which is Pacific time, which is four o'clock, your guys, East Coast time, right? right? And um, I want to make sure he has time to go through his and of course we can always take questions later offline. So should we go ahead and do that? That sounds good. You ready, Jeff? I'm ready. Here, let me. And this should not be too long, so there should be there should be some time for questions at the end. The tool is uh, fairly simple for what it does. Anyhow, my name is Jeff Peters, and I'm a student contractor here at USGS. I studied geography and GIS, and I. Um, assist many researchers here using my GIS technician skills. And I also uh, did 
much of the analysis using HAZUS and LUPM and the HAZUS MH data extracted tool, which I'll show you now. I created this poster for the 2011 HAZUS conference in Seattle, and um, it was fairly well received, and I think there could be a market, or we think there could be a market out there for any HAZUS users who wish to extract their results and use them outside of HAZUS for any number of statistical analysis or for external tools like the LUPM. Um, so it is available, although I will mention first off, because you'd find this out later, it's really only compatible with older versions of Hazus. It's been tested on MR3, and I've used it somewhat on MR4, and already I noticed some less than pleasing compatibility issues. So the problem with us developing it further to be compatible with new versions of Hazus is we don't have the funding at the moment. So we're hoping to get some interest, which would then uh, probably drum up some funding to better the software. So I'm just going to use my poster here to walk through some screenshots of the uh, tool, let's figure out the best way to show you guys. Here, let's try that. Um, so the first screen of the tool you'll see. Oh, the, by the way, Jamie, have you distributed a copy of the poster, or is it online available? It is. It's on. Um I believe it's part of the conference proceedings, but I know that it's also on uh, uhouses.com uh, for the call today. So if you okay. look at that it's, and you're interested in the call information, it's listed there. Okay, great. So any of you out there want to know more about the poster or the, the data extractor tool, you can take a look at the poster and you can visit the website for the tool. You can download the tool and the documentation and find out everything you needed to know. You can also contact me or Peter Ng, the developer, um, with any questions you have or any interest in using the tool. So first, when you open the tool, you'll see this window here uh, with your CS at the top. And the first thing you need to do is set up a server where it will be extracting the data. And most Hazus users will have this service, this Hazus Plus server you see here, automatically set up when you install Hazus. You can alter that if you find uh, you need to. And then whatever server you're generating your, your results on is what you'll put here if you want to extract those results. Uh, the next thing you want to do is um, set up a database, which is where gosh, I haven't used it in so long, I forgot what to say. But uh, the database is actually where um, the study region is stored, and you have this users out there are familiar with study regions, I'm sure, so I won't go into too much detail. You also use the, you also set up the hazard type you ran the analysis on, 
that study region, and then uh, the scenario. And here it's a little confusing because my scenario is named the same thing as my study region. But then after you have that set up, also there's a result set option here for flood. And I forgot to mention that um, the data extractor tool is only compatible with earthquake analysis and flood analysis. It's not been developed for hurricanes yet. So um, basically after that, you have several tabs to go through here. And the first one is the filter tab with uh, four sub-tabs here. And basically all these tabs are helping you limit the type of data that you extract from your results. So if you had multiple states in your study region, you could select one or all. Um, also counties within that state, you could select one or all. And then the furthest uh, refinement you can adjust is the census tracts within the, the counties that you selected in your study region. Um, after that, you'd click the building inventory tab. And I'll scroll up here to that window where you have even more ways of limiting the data you can extract. So if you did a huge analysis and you just wanted to focus in on certain buildings or a certain population, um, you could use the tool to extract only those results instead of having this massive data set of results that you don't need all of it for your purposes. So um, here you see many options. You can limit by occupancy type, general and specific. Um, you can limit by building type. And again, you just check the boxes for these various types. Um, and that will be the data that's extracted. You also can set for uh, design level. And for flood, you have all the options here for foundation type. So I also created this side screen here. If you were to check the radio buttons for specific occupancy and specific building types, you have even more categories to limit your uh, result extraction. Then you would move on to the building damages. So I'm sure most of you are familiar with the various uh, mechanical damage types in hazards. You have non-structural acceleration non-structural drift and structural damage types. You can limit with any of those or select them all. And you also have the five damage states within each of those mechanical damage types, including none, slight, moderate, extensive, and complete damage. So if you only want to look at the worst uh, results, you could select only extensive or complete or both, and you would only have those results in your uh, extracted geodatabase. So if you move down to the last tab for the filters, you have social impact. And you can limit yet again using occupancy type or building type, where you see over this side window here is when you select building type. And then we also have, for earthquakes, the time of day is when the earthquake occurs, which has a lot to do with how many or what populations are uh, affected, and uh, I'm drawing a blank. So, and it, you know, what time of day the earthquake occurs has a lot to do with who is affected where. 
put it that way. So, and then you also have a location option here. So you have the options of, um, oh, inside the premises and outside the premises. Sorry, my screen's a little fuzzy. I hope yours isn't. <laughs> then if you move on, you, you could select, you could click the run button here, but you would get a warning as I've indicated and gotten many times when I forget to set up the save option because there's more to it than just running it. And that's simply um, either selecting a geodatabase you've already created. So you could store results from multiple hazard runs in the same geodatabase and everything would be organized accordingly using the same names you have for your, uh, your study region and your scenario. Or you could just create a new geodatabase, which the tool will do for you, actually. If you select new database and browse on your computer, you can name it and it will create it for you. Then you have the various data to export. And if any of you are familiar with the SQL Server data tables that Hazus puts the results into, they're quite confusing and use very cryptic names. And this is really the beauty of this tool is Peter went through those tables and organized them in ways that even the most basic Hazus user should understand. So you have several different table options here. Um, a lot of them, let's see, you have basically they're repeated. Uh, the first three are repeated. You know, it looks like the first. Anyway, you have you can aggregate things to the track level, or you can bring the, the data out um, in. Um, I'm trying to say in an unaggregated form. So after you set up your save options and click run, it will run fairly quickly, actually, because the data is already there. It's just extracting it from the SQL Server databases and putting it into your personal geodatabase. So here you see a window of our catalog opened. And I ran the tool with the various settings that you saw me go through now. And um, here are, you, you get a collection of feature classes and also tables. and over here you see an example of what I have selected there, which is damage by census tract. So if this window was scrolled all the way over to the left, you would see everything's aggregated by census tract. And you also see the various categories up here for damage. I guess I have it scrolled to non-structural acceleration exposure. So you would see, you see none and flight moderate expenses on my screen now. So basically that's the gist of what the tool does and um, I guess I should take questions or maybe we should take questions for Lori first and then questions for me. Either way, either way you can it doesn't just, matter. Yeah, just either throw questions at us. <laughs> you want to scroll back to the big picture of the poster? Okay, folks, who has a question? Anybody? Questions or comments are fine, too? Yeah. 
I'll just start by telling you thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, you've obviously put in a tremendous amount of work, and I'm sure people are just trying to digest all of that information. And we will have the posters obviously online now, but we will have the presentation online in the future. It's just going through a review process. Yeah, and maybe if some of you are intimidated by the amount of information we gave you, I'll just put up our contact information again so you can contact us anytime with any questions you have about the presentation, the LUPM tool, the data extractor tool, the mobile home application. This is this is basically where you can find all of us, Laura, Peter, myself, and links to the tools and documentation. Does anybody have a question to ask? Uh, yeah, I do. Wait. And I'm uh. I work with Murray Zernay, and, and Murray worked with uh, Richard Bernkoff when he was uh, developing this uh, earlier on. And, uh, and Murray's now working with uh, taking similar kind of extraction technology out of Hazus to bring results into community viz, which is also a kind of a visualization tool for community planning. So I wondered if, if uh, there was opportunity to actually uh, build on what Murray's done to be able to um, have another way of updating your extraction technology with, without having to go in and get a bunch more money. Well, we've, we've worked with Murray Journey in the past. Yeah. And actually, yeah. And um, it's possible, I'm not sure about this, but he may be using our, he may have started by using this data extractor tool. Because I, I think he that's what emailed I would... Peter and told, and told him that he was starting to use it. So are you saying, is he, is he, has he started with that and is developing it for his links to community viz? Uh, I don't know if he's using uh, what, what you guys have done or created something completely different. And the reason I bring it up is because I'm pretty sure he's using more recent versions of Hazus for the output. Mm -hmm. So if he's able to do that, then he must have built something either on top of what you've done or, or something different. Yeah, that's, you know, I'll, I'll ask him. <laughs> because he did say that um, that he was, he, uh, he, I'm trying to remember, he sent Peter an email, and I think it said something about using both the LUPM still and the Hazus Data Extractor. But, you know, knowing okay. him, he's already taken it and run with it and developed, you know, he's already, you know, 10 steps ahead or whatever. But I would be curious about that. And when um, when we did work with him in the past, he was interested in linking this kind of work with what Community Viz was trying to do. I think he still is. Yeah. Uh, we had a conversation yesterday, not, not about UPM, but about a different kind of technology we, we both have dreams about. And, uh, and it, it essentially... Uh, would incorporate what, what we were just talking about. So, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, the community. I think it would be might be to your advantage to reconnect. Mhm. We did actually see him at the Hazards Conference. Yep. But you know, it was it was pretty. It was a, you know not a very long time, and we didn't have a lot of chance to talk, and they there was a lot of other things going on there. But um, we we I think that we presented just following him. Can I ask who what your name is and? Yeah, my name is Bert Struick. Okay. I just I work in the same office as Marianne on a, on a common project at the moment. Okay. So I have a little bit of familiarity then with, with some of the side projects that he's on. Great. Well, I mean, certainly you can tell him we said hello. <laughs> All right. Thank yeah, because he he he's familiar with us and we we do cross paths every so often. We worked with him years ago on an application of this in Squamish. Exactly. That's what yeah. I remembered from. And it was with Rich Burnkoff. And he's the economist who I mentioned at the very beginning of this talk who I started working for way back. Yeah, that's what I assumed. Yeah. And he's since retired, but he's still around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, glad that he's still going. But thank you very much for the presentation. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you, and I'm really glad you um, joined us. Yeah, thanks for the and suggestion. Spoke up. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll get a hold of Marie's Renee and figure out what he's doing with our software. Yeah. He <laughs> uh, may be able to converge on something and, and uh, yeah. sharing. I don't know. It's a great yeah. idea. Are there any other questions? Any other questions? We've got ten minutes left. Uh, yeah, I have a question. This is Shelby with FEMA Region 8. Um, regarding the um, data extraction tool, you guys, both Laura and Jeff mentioned that you could extract the data into a geodatabase as aggregated data and then also as, quote, unaggregated data. And I'm curious to know, is that is that site specific data, or what it, what were, what did you mean when you said unaggregated? No, I was asking myself the same question as I said it because it's been <laughs> quite a few months since I've used this tool, and I had a feeling someone would ask that question. <laughs> um, so you put me on the spot. I'm trying to Sorry think of what I meant. Oh, that's fine. It's a good question. <laughs> um, I I want to say, you know, and this isn't, I'm not confident in this answer, but I want to say that if you were to input data at a level two or greater into Hazards, you could then extract the, um, I, I think basically you'd be extracting what you put in. Gotcha. Uh, so the loss estimates associated with the site-specific data that you put in. See, but as I'm saying that, I'm doubting what I'm saying. So I will actually, I'll look into that more. And if you'd like, I could contact you with the answer to that. Okay. Um, oh, I'll, you... I'll shoot you an email. Great. Certainly, we should be able to get that answer from our 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 computer guy Peter Ng, who's listed on this slide. Yeah, if I took another quick look at 
at what I did, I'd have the answer to it. But right now, I'm I'm drawing a blank. Sorry about that. No problem. Thank you. Anybody else with a question? All right. Well, let me just remind you that we do have one more call today at 4.30 Eastern Time. It's the same dial-in and PIN number, and it's for the Hazardous Higher Education Resources Consortium. So if you've got some time and energy left today, uh, we'd love to have you on that call as well. And uh, join me in a big thank you to Laura and Peter. Um, I mean, Jeff, I really appreciate all that you've done today. So thank you very much. Yeah, hey, Jamie, this is Vince. Um, I want to thank them, too. It was two very good discussions. I really enjoyed them. Great. I'm glad you're here, Vince. Thank you, Vince. Thanks very much. No, I, right. I really, really like them. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll come back just again later if you want to think of any questions or comments later. Great.